Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doin' Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Lydia Thorpe and Lydia is um, the former Greens um, senator. Or, no, 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 not senator. What am I saying? She was in the Greens. <laughs> and I interviewed Lydia quite a few times on this show and I invited her on because I want to have a discussion with her about what's been going on politically and in Parliament, in particular in regards to treaty and also looking at um, the Constitution and the place. Uh, do Aboriginal people have a place in the Constitution? There's a lot of stuff about that. And my concern really is that it appears that the coalition government is talking a little bit about the fact that there shouldn't be a voice in Parliament. There has been a lot of conflicting views and confusing things and rhetoric in the media and whenever I get confused about mainstream media I always like to speak to Lydia because not only does she make me feel better but she also is able to educate listeners about what's really going on Um, and she's one of the the very strong women that are advocates and leaders um, in the movement and I, in the Indigenous movement and I respect her highly so um, that, that's what we're going to be doing first. Then after that we're going to be um, speaking with Vicky Sentis who is um, a law lecturer at New South Wales University and listeners may recall that last week we spoke with Samantha Lee who's the Head of Police Accountability from Redfern Legal Centre about the launch of a report. It's already been launched and this particular report was launched calling for changes to New South Wales strip search laws and we're going to be speaking with Vicky later on about best practice and some of the recommendations about the report to try and overcome some of the looking at changing the law so that police powers are, are changed so that there's no harm in the community. Hello, Lydia. Welcome to the program. Hello. How are you going? Good, good, Lydia. It's lovely to have you. You too. Nice to talk to you again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and I'm assuming that you heard that introduction. I did. Wonderful. I did. Thank you. Um, so... Yes, I was a former Greens MP for Northcote, just to um, Thank you. correct that intro. And yes. I'm a Gunai Angulichamara woman, first and foremost. 
Wonderful. And that, that is important. I was waiting for you to talk about that and you beat me to it because I was going to ask what land you're on. So we're on the same wavelength here. So Lydia... Thank you, Lydia. No, that, that's good. Now, after all that, are you able to clear up some of the misunderstandings in the media and talk a little bit about treaty and, and look at some of the things that have been happening in Parliament lately? is a topic that this show has concentrated on and we've interviewed DT quite extensively about that and it's good that we're talking about it today. Um, can you comment on that further, Lydia? Well, it's hard, you know, as a Japanese woman and somebody who participated in the treaty legislation, it's really difficult to think that the Labor government is going into these negotiations or treaty talks, at the same time they want to destroy our sacred site. Um, I, I just can't understand, I can't fathom for a moment how we can go into good faith negotiations when we're on the front line trying to stop the Labor government from destroying our version of a sacred like it, you know, I don't see um, churches or spiritual places across this, this country under threat of being destroyed. Well, and yeah. that's what we're, you know, that's, that's our connection, that's our spiritual connection, that is our church, that is somewhere where we congregate as Japarung people, it's somewhere where we um, sit down and, and have yarns that have happened for thousands of generations. So obviously the Labor government don't understand that. And in fact, they've never been out there to even try and understand that. Um, 
So running as a, a candidate for the Treaty Assembly, I'm, I'm quite um, conflicted in what I'm doing. Um, and I'm, you know, I'll, I'll put it out there right now, and I've certainly said this in some corners, is if our trees are, uh, um, continue to be under threat or if our trees go, then I will have to step down as a candidate in the Treaty um, Assembly candidacy because it just makes no sense. And, you know, we have a, a tagline, no trees, no treaty. Well, I stand by that. You know, I'm really glad that you've said that, Lydia, because that, that's something that I've thought about long and hard myself. Mm. I, I mean, it's... Uh, Treaty is is much is much more prominent. Sovereignty was never ceded, as you said, and it, it's it's much better than having this ridiculous referendum that that they you know the coalition government wants to have uh, to look at this constitution. Yeah, look, and I, I'm a little bit um, tired in this interview because I've just left the Tanya Day okay. inquest. Oh yes, and. I've been sitting there all day in a in a coroner's court Tell me. with lawyers from different parts of the government. Um, so you know, Vic, uh, sorry, uh, V Line, Victoria Police, and and others who contributed to. Six years I've been in prison. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well online at any time. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash Beyond the Bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. And hopefully we've got Lydia back. Hello, Lydia. Sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure. Look, I won't keep you much longer, Lydia. I imagine that uh, the Tanya Day inquest would have been horrific. Yeah, well, right at the end there, it was um, the one of the gentlemen from V-Line who 
instigated the call to the police and there was some footage of Kenya coming off the train and, uh, you know, I kind of didn't expect to feel the way I did. Um, and what I was saying before we were cut off was, you know, I, I'm feeling more and more uneasy about going into any kind of negotiation with the Victorian government when state violence is still perpetrated against our people and our country and to sit in a courtroom in a coroner's court um, with the likes of Beeline and Victoria Police and, um, you know, Ambulance Victoria and others, you know, you can't help to think to yourself as an Aboriginal woman that, you know, this continued oppression and, and state violence against our people is it's just... Um, you know, this, this, it's ongoing. And I actually thought for a moment about my mum and about me as a mum and how we could have been on that train and I could have had a couple of drinks and easily fallen asleep on the train. Yeah. Um, yeah, so to think that the government wants to, you know, in good faith negotiate treaty, well, I'm, yeah, I don't know about that. So that's where it's at, and um, we'll have to see what what happens from from here on in terms of how many of our people still participate in this treaty process. I, I certainly speak with a lot of my people today, and they have absolutely no faith in the treaty process. And I, you know, I can appreciate and totally support. Uh, where, you know, where they're coming from. And the sacred trees blockade and the inquest are happening all at the same time. Well, to be in the courtroom today and to look at my phone and just kind of keep an eye on what's going on in my country and to see a tree burning, one of our trees burning, um, and to know that it's burning as a result of a larrikin who's been trolling our site um, you know, I, I just that's more violence against our people. And that was like a knife in my heart while I was sitting in that courtroom. So, you know, the struggle's real and we've got to um, get our allies together to, to um, get to that coroner's court, support the Tanya Day family, get to the Japarung trees, support the continued resistance there. And this is where we need our allies because the pressure is on and the state have organised quite categorically how to um, separate us and and try and, you know, continue this oppression in a way that, um, you know, tires us out. It does indeed. And, you know, um, Lydia, look after you. Take care of yourself, though. Just... Just look after yourself. There's so much going on for you and, and, and your people. And for just for, yeah. the, for listeners, the Tanya Day inquest starts. I'll, Lydia, I'll just read this out quickly. The Tanya Day inquest starts today, the 26th of August to the 30, 13th of September, 10 to 4 Coroner's Court, 65 Kavana Street, South Bank. And it's terribly important to pack the courtroom and just make sure that justice is sought here.
No justice, no peace. The Yota Yota woman died in custody in December 2017. As Lydia said, um, she was arrested for being drunk in, in public. And I'm hoping that um, the Victorian government does um, do the 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 um, abolish that law of public drunkenness. It's too late for Aunty Tanya, though. That's right. And, you know, I've, I've had the, the, the fortune of, of knowing Tanya and um, hanging out with Tanya many times at the Footy Netball Carnival in Echuca. And, yeah, it's very personal, it's very real, and it can happen to any of us. And, you know, it, it is based on the colour of our skin. Um, so we, we have to be careful out there because um, it's, still, it's still happening. So just, yeah, so just on the, the treaty discussion, um, you know, people aren't feeling good about enrolling to vote, so I'm not sure... How many, you know, the, the Treaty Commission won't tell us how many people are enrolled to vote, uh, even as a candidate to understand how many people are voting just in the metropolitan area. Um, you know, we, we don't have that information. So it's hard to campaign or, or have an idea of how many people are going to actually vote when they're not being open and transparent about those numbers. And transparency is, <laughs> is indeed a problem um, when there's a lot of systemic racism um, to combat here. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it seems like the, we're just always fighting for basic human rights and basic rights for information to allow us to make informed decisions and have informed consent and that you know that's part of the injustice and that's certainly the, the case in the treaty in Victoria it's the case with, with constitutional uh, reform and the discussion around that and the statement from the heart there was never any free informed consent around that discussion We've been completely railroaded and there's an agenda that's being run out there that grassroots Aboriginal people don't agree with. And you don't hear that voice because we don't... We're the disempowered voice. We're the battle and black fellas on the ground that don't have a voice. We don't have the same resources. So we're up against a system uh, and an agenda that is heavily resourced you know, supported by mining companies, um, which obviously, you know, if they're supporting it by putting statements out, then how else are they supporting it to get their agenda through? I'm sure that they're sponsoring it in, in some form, um, which makes it more difficult for grassroots people to, to be heard. Absolutely, Lydia. The, the lack of consultation has, has been horrendous. Now, Lydia, um, thank you so much for coming onto the program. We're going to be interviewing Vicky Centis next, um, who's going to be talking about strip searching. And, in fact, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders um, periodically and systemically get um, strip searched on a regular basis um, as a form of power and control. So we're going to be speaking to her next about a report. Do, do you have any final comments before, before we get on to that? 
I think, you know, with, with the amount of pressure that was put on the state Labor government here in Victoria to um, abolish the, the law of drunk in a public place goes to show that people power can change the status quo. People power can change legislation. And don't underestimate that and, and that we need to keep this pressure on to stop all of these continued injustices against our people and our children. Look at the laws of, of the, you know, and the rates of removal of Aboriginal children in this state. So we just need to um, be aware of, of the legislation that is still um, creating these injustices against our people and we need to band together to, um, yeah, to, to change the legislation and put the pressure on the government. Absolutely. We can do that by banning being united and, and keeping the pressure on, that's all. No, that's very true. And let's keep up the fight and, um, and work together and help each other. Yes. Thank, Thank you. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you, thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Lydia Thorpe um, speaking about quite a number of issues, in particular the sacred trees and also the inquest of Tanya, Aunty Tanya Day. On Thursday the 22nd of August at 10am at DLA Piper in Martin Place, Sydney, Redfern Legal Centre launched a detailed research report examining the use of police strip search powers in New South Wales. The lack of publicly available data reflects a wider lack of transparency regarding the exercise of police powers and an institutional unwillingness to challenge police narratives of their activities. And we're going to be speaking with Vicky Sentis now, who is the co-author of the report. Um, and there's Dr. Michael is also um, the author as well. And we'll be speaking to her about best practice and how best we can um, have best practice in regards to um, strip searches. Um, hello, Vicky. Welcome to the program. And we have a bit of a technical difficulty here. Um, I shall put on an announcement and I'm hoping we can get Vicky back. Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads, and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition, parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions. And look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117. A 3CR supporter.
Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate, and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counseling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. You're back with the Doing Time Show. Hello, Vicky. Hi, Marissa. How are oh, you? Oh, sorry, Vicky. We've had some technical difficulties. Um, you'll le- you can leave at five, yes? Yeah, no problem. Wonderful. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> Vicky, it's lovely to have you. Um, Great to be here. Yeah. Like, I, I did a, I actually spoke um, out an introduction about the report that um, you and Dr. Michael um, worked on together about strip searches and changing the law. Yep, that's right. Now, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about background, the background of that report, and, and I believe it was launched um, on Thursday last week, and if you could just talk about that and, and list a, li- a few of the recommendations and the findings. Yeah, sure. So where this report came about, Redfern Legal Centre, who are a fairly renowned community legal centre in Sydney, in Redfern, they're one of the oldest centres and very kind of much a product of the black rights movement in the 1970s in Redfern, uh, set up this campaign about uh, 10 months ago called Safe and Sound. And it was focused on what was revealed to be a rise in strip searches, particularly over the last four years, by David Shoebridge, the Greens MP in Parliament in New South Wales. And I've got some questions on notice to show there'd been like a 47% increase in strip searches. And the reason why he tried to get those statistics was Redfern Legal Centre, the Aboriginal Legal Service and other community legal centres were just getting increasing reports, particularly from young people, people of all ages, but particularly people, um, you know, Aboriginal people in um, regional areas in New South Wales and city areas, um, kids going to music festivals, so it seems that there was a bit of a kind of patterned increase in the use of strip searches. And so on the back of that, on the back of those revelations that there had been this almost 50% increase in strip searches over the last four years, Redfern Legal Centre asked us as law academics at the University of New South Wales to dig into it a bit deeper, to look at what the actual law is on strip searches to see what current safeguards or accountabilities there are and to see what the case might be for law reform to tighten up the laws, recognising that clearly that's not enough, 
but on the other side, um, not, of course, wanting to rely on the police to focus on better training, in inverted commas. So our research really was to analyse the laws, look at the laws across Australia to see if there's, you know, better laws, worse laws, what we could find out. And effectively what we found was, so in New South Wales, like in most states, strip searches are meant to be a last resort. So when police um, uh, have a general search power to sort of pat or frisk search someone, it's fairly low bar. Police just need to have a reasonable suspicion that you've engaged in pretty much any offence. And the laws change as slightly different around what offences in different states. But reasonable suspicion, even though it's meant to be a high bar, is in practice, you know, a low bar. And in practice, you know, police often say, you know, being in a so-called high crime area or the time of night or, you know, you look dodgy ends up being reasonable suspicion. And, you know, a good defence lawyer will challenge that in court and often uh, magistrates will find, no, that's not reasonable suspicion. Um, what strip searches do is the threshold is a lot higher. So the threshold in New South Wales is if it's got to be necessary for the purpose of the search, which means the police have to have a reasonable suspicion, like an ordinary pat search won't find it because it's sort of hidden under your clothing somewhere. And then the second test is meant to be, it's got to be in serious and urgent circumstances to make it necessary. And those words, serious and urgent, are what we were focusing on. What does that mean in practice? Particularly when you've got 14-year-old kids outside a supermarket, you know, Aboriginal child, um, you know, being stopped by police for suspicion of shoplifting and then told to pull down their pants um, and, you know, completely humiliated, embarrassed, you know, in public. So what's serious and urgent about that? And there are hundreds and hundreds of examples that are really similar. And so we got some statistics from through Freedom of Information, through New South Wales Police, to say, well, what are your reasons? What are the police reasons for conducting a strip search? And we saw that 91% of all of the stated reasons for conducting a strip search were that the person was possessing drugs. So drug possession for a kind of um, possession quantity is like for personal use. And so our conclusion was, on the face of it, if there's nothing else, how could that possibly meet the legal threshold of serious and urgent? And so we kind of formed the conclusion that if that's a stated police reason, then there must be a bit of a blanket policy going on here around using strip searches for kind of everyday drug policing. Um, Absolutely. The other thing that sort of happened with the statistics is that often the police rhetoric is, oh, we're saving lives at festivals. These kids have got, um, you know, huge numbers of MDMA pills concealed inside their bodies in condoms. What if that ruptures? Um, we're saving lives is what police say. And we say, well, what do the statistics tell us? And the statistics show that in 64% of all strip searches, nothing is found. Um, and then in the, around the 30 percent or so of charges that are laid, you know, a small handful, like less than 300 a year are for drug supply. But most drug supply offences are for just um, a possession, possessing a trafficable quantity and not necessarily there being any intention to supply drugs. So that was effectively the gist of the report to say that police are, there's an indication that systematically the police 
are turning their minds to the existing legal criteria. And so in our mind, this is indicative of potentially widespread unlawful um, strip searches by police. So effectively, our key recommendations are, well, let's just do some law reform to define what do you mean by serious and urgent. And so we're suggesting that it be limited to reasonable suspicion of um, serious weapons offences. And we thought we'd kind of meet the police halfway around, well, if, you know, the war on drugs isn't going to go, go away. Yeah. Um, so at least specify that it can't, strip searches can't be used merely for suspicion of drug possession. It's got to be a more serious drug offence. So they're the key kind of recommendations in a snapshot and a whole heap of other recommendations around well, when a strip search is actually used. Like there are all these mandatory rules that are sort of the same in every state around preserving the privacy and dignity of people, but there are always opt-out clauses, so people often get yeah. strip searched in public and tightening that up. But they're the, they're the basic Absolutely. And in reading the report, um, I actually was quite appalled to, to, to read about how strip searching, for example, has been found to trigger prior experiences of trauma and, and abuse, including sexual assault. And there was that, the, the study, um, this case study about Emma, um, the young woman who who was traumatised um, by getting strip searched at a music festival and her ticket was confiscated and the sniffer dog sniffed her but they, they didn't find anything and they still persisted to strip search her. That's right and that seems to be an increasingly common experience particularly by young women and a number of young women have bravely told their stories to the media where they've experienced sexual assault before and are re-traumatised by a state-sanctioned sexual assault. And so even, um, so this is where a lot of the great earlier research over the last kind of, um, you know, 15 years and longer has been done around the routine strip searching in women's prisons. So we, you know, drew heavily on that, the great work of activists and advocates in Victoria um, and in other states who have been campaigning for years to limit routine systematic abuse in prisons around strip searches and, you know, saying, well, look, it's a different context um, in strip searching in the field, um, but it's still that stripping of people's agency and control and ritualised humiliation that in itself for any person creates vulnerability, but particularly for people who've already experienced trauma. And we know that imprisoned people, um, you know, are, you know, already, you know, have life stories of trauma. Um, and so that compounds. Um, so that's, yeah, certainly one of the key arguments that we're making is this is an inherently traumatising practice and that's why it's meant to be really exceptional and emergency situations. And particularly in the festival settings, we're seeing drug detection dogs, which are also renowned to be unreliable uh, based on a sniff, um, you know, particularly young women and men being pulled out of line told, ordered to take off, in some cases, all of their cult clothes, or sometimes it might be the bottom half of their clothing and directed to what's known as squat and cough to try and, um, you know, reveal alleged items that are secreted inside the body. So at one of our arguments is, so police have told, like 10 years ago now, the ombudsman in New South Wales, when they last looked at this, 
the police argument around squat and cough is, look, we do it to protect privacy because so we don't um, do visual inspection of body cavities because the concept of a strip search is it's meant to be a visual inspection of the body only. Police aren't allowed to touch you. Um, they sort of direct you to, to take off your clothing, but they often direct you to, for these really humiliating you know, contortions of the body. And our argument is okay, it's not meant to be a cavity search, but you're effectively asked doing a cavity search without touching people. And cavity searches are meant to be ordered by a court. So that's also one of the things that um, we're saying and that, that's become quite controversial and the police are responding, saying, no, 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 you're wrong, it's not a cavity search, but we're pretty confident with our legal analysis. It is a cavity search. Like Absolutely. People to, um, just because you're not engaging in it um, directly, like it's, it's still a cavity search. Absolutely. And indeed, within the report, one of the things that was really interesting was looking at, you know, you, you, you talk about the general powers that give rise to personal searches. And all through the report it says that it, this strip searches should be limited in law to ordinary searches in order to guide police against strip searches as a first resort. Yeah, so what we're saying is we looked at kind of other laws, um, so say in the ACT and the Commonwealth, they basically, all throughout their law, they remind police, like, okay, if you want to do a general, if you want to search for drug possession or, you know, theft, it's a general search only, like an ordinary search, and they limit it in law. So we're saying we need to do the same thing in New South Wales. Um, the interesting thing in Victoria is that, you know, um, strip searches are technically limited to um, the Dangerous Weapons Act. But unfortunately, in Victoria, police have a really broad discretion to strip search just in the police manual. Um, So we haven't, we tried to get statistics from Victoria police, but they refused to give them to us anything at all. Um, So yeah, we don't really know what exactly is going on in Victoria, but similar stories have been coming up through music festivals in in Victoria, um, obviously. Absolutely, and indeed in the report also there was a section on, on children as well, 10 and under, that, that some children were being, were being strip-searched um, strip as well. So children, there's a prohibition um, in New South Wales but all over the country that you can't strip-search a child under the age of 10, but um, kids between 10 and 17 can be strip-searched. And right. in New South Wales there have been about 300 children in the last two years were strip-searched. And so we're saying, look, thinking about, you know, every agency, every state agency is meant to adhere to child protection principles. Why not New South Wales Police, you know, given they're an agency with monopoly over state power and violence, you know, they should be subject to child protection principles. Like imagine a child, even it's meant to be mandatory for an independent adult to be there, but to be subjected to that is really not on. And so we're saying that there shouldn't be strip searches of children allowed um, unless it's in the under-child protection principles to absolutely protect the safety of the child and then you need to get a court order. So we're trying to limit strip searches in relation to kids and saying, look, kids are in a completely different category. They need to be subject to special rules and not the same rules for adults. How confident are you as the author 
of the report uh, that these recommendations will be implemented? Oh, look, I think that law reform is um, one of those things that um, it can be very pie in the sky. Um, we think it's important to make the argument and fight for it. We're not naive enough to think it's going to um, come to fruition, but it's something that this campaign is fighting for strongly. We think they're achievable reforms. They're not, you know, hugely radical, really. Like, it's basically saying rule of law stuff and to make things... Um, clearer for police and obviously that's going to should help their legitimacy in the long term but that's not you know why we're doing it we're basically saying there's it's the basic civil liberty here and there doesn't need to be greater accountability and transparency and we're saying release all the data so you know we're already getting quite a lot of flack from New South Wales police um, you know around our claims we're saying well you know release all the data if you think it's otherwise. Um, so, look, we're going to use it as a, as a basis for kind of trying to, um, you know, mobilise, um, you know, broader constituents, um, you know, different people who have been impacted, encouraging people to make um, complaints. Complaints are hard because most complaints are only investigated by police, but we're, at the moment in New South Wales, there happens to be... Um, an independent investigation going on of strip searches. So in November last year, in response to quite a few serious complaints, the, our, um, our police watchdog here, the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, started up an investigation which is on foot. And so we're encouraging people who've experienced strip searches to submit their complaints to the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission, which is independent and separate from New South Wales Police, to build the case and look at you know, what's, what's happening systematically. So basically strip searches have um, affected vulnerable minority groups in the community and it's also heartening that in the report it also talks about colonisation and First Nations people. Yeah, so what, I mean, what we're saying is that there are particular impacts obviously for First Nation people and, you know, the ongoing criminalisation of First Nations people, which is an effect of, you know, the, of colonisation and the intergenerational trauma that colonisation continues to create is only compounded by over-policing. And that's an everyday experience for many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And then if you add on top of that, the violence of strip-searching like it really is about stripping people bare of their agency, and um, you know, it's you know, people often talk about it. Aboriginal people talk about their experience of strip searches in terms of, you know, it is um, you know removing kind of dignity and identity, um, and so it has to be seen in that, in the broader context of colonisation. Absolutely. Vicky, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Do you have any final comments to add? I mean, it, it's a large report, isn't it? And we we can't talk about everything, but but I think you've you've actually um, succeeded in giving us a very concise summary. If people want to want to get a look look at the report, where can they go? So the Redfern Legal Centre website, they can um, go to that website there and they should be able to find it on, on, on that website. It's called Rethinking Strip Searches by New South Wales Police. And, um, you know, I think that a similar kind of um, 
exploration could be done in Victoria. So if there's people interested in looking at what's going on in Victoria, really happy to talk to anyone at any time. Lovely. Look, thank you so much, and um, I'm sure we'll have you back at, at, at some stage, and uh, take care. Thanks, Marissa. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. And that was Dr. Vicky Sentis talking about a report that has just come out in regards to changing strips, um, strip search laws. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. There's a cold rain on the autumn wind A brother murdered in Sydney town Mark for brother and a supposed eagle covering his home We gunned him down We say, oh, 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 Gunned him down Sad rivers of tears to hundred years In the river of fear Gunned him down They took him out of point blank range in his home with his small young son. Shot him dead in his marble bed with a pump action 12 gauge shotgun. Fatherless child, even wife, a black fugitive on the run. On the run, two centuries from oppression's loaded guns. We say, oh, 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 Gunned him down. Sad rivers and tears, two hundred years in the Terrorists dressed in uniform under the protection of their law. Terrorized blacks and dawns of fear that come smashing through your door. You're not safe outside on Freedom Street, you're not safe inside the camp. With their shotguns and their stun guys, the license to drop you where you stand. We say, whoa, whoa. Sad rivers of tears to hundred years in the river of fear They turned him down And you're back with the Doing Time show. And that was um, River of Tears by Kev Carmody. 
Uh, we're nearing the end of our show now. It's approximately 4.48. And just to recap, um, we had Lydia Thorpe um, on the show, first of all. You heard an interview with her, and she spoke a lot about Treaty, the Sacred Trees, and also the Tanya um, Day Inquest, which began today and is being heard in the Coroner's Court until the 13th of September. Just a few bits and pieces. The, um, the report about um, strip searches and changing the law the formal title of that report is Rethinking Strip Searches. I'll say that again, Rethinking Strip Searches by New South Wales Police. And the authors are Dr. Michael Grewock and Dr. Vicky Sentis. And um, this particular report can be found on the Redfern Legal Centre website. And in fact, um, Redfern Legal Centre did commission this report and there was a launch last week. Just also to talk briefly about Tanya Day. Um, Tanya Day has, has two daughters, and I think she's also got a, a son as well. The Yorta Yorta woman, as I said earlier in, in the show, died in custody and in December 2017 after being arrested for being drunk in public. And Guardian Australia has actually written some articles. There's been a lot of stuff in the media, but The Guardian has actually put it very well, actually, um, and has talked about, uh, I'll just quote from, from The Guardian because it really is quite pertinent. The Victorian government has announced a plan to abolish the crime of public drunkenness four days ahead of an inquest into the death in custody of Yota Yota woman Tanya Day, who was arrested on the summary charge. So this particular article was written last week, I believe, on the 22nd of August. So I'll just continue. In its place will be a health-based approach that will promote therapeutic and culturally safe pathways to assist alcohol-affected people in public places, a government statement said. The State Attorney-General, Jill Hennessy, made the announcement um, on Thursday night and said she would write to the Victorian coroner, Caitlin English, who is overseeing the three-week inquest into Day's death, to advise her that the government had committed in principle to abolishing the crime. English warned the government in December that she intended to recommend the law be abolished and Day's family has been advocating for the change since her death in December 2017. Um, Death in custody prompts push to change Victoria's public drunkenness laws. Public drunkenness requires a public health response, not a criminal justice one, and now is the right time to take this important reform forward. Hennessy said. The Andrews Labor government acknowledges the disproportionate impact the current laws have had on Aboriginal people and pay tribute to the community members who have advocated for this change. Day was arrested and charged with being drunk in public on 5th December 2017 after a V-line officer called police when she fell asleep on a train from Echuca to Melbourne. She was taken to Castlemaine Police Station and placed in the cells to sober up, but hit her head and sustained a brain hemorrhage that led to her death in hospital on the 22nd of December. The inquest um, began today, and as Lydia said, it was quite horrific for her to be in the courtroom. If people can spare the time, you know, come down to the coroner's court and pack out the courtroom um, to support the, the Day family. I believe there was also a smoking ceremony this morning um, at, at, at uh, King's Domain. So just to give you those details again, 
Auntie Tanya Day's inquest starts today, started today, or rather, 26th of August to the 13th of September, 10 till 4, Coroner's Court, 65 Kavana Street, Southbank. And Kavana is spelt K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And yeah, it would be really good if, if people could actually come to, come um, to the Coroner's Court. And if they can't come, there's so many other ways. You know, uh, you know, in terms of perhaps even donating um, via Facebook or on the internet um, to to the Day family. Yeah, it's approximately five fifty four, sorry, four fifty two, and we're going to be. I'm going to be actually playing one more announcement and then saying goodbye. Um, Beyond Zero will be up next, and so I'll play an announcement, and then we will go out with our. Um, theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. And uh, I'll just go into announcement now. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show and I just have to, I can't resist it, I have to play the Sacred Trees announcement just one more time. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. And you're back with the Do and Time show. And the Do and Time show has actually done some extensive interviewing with DT, who is one of the um, the founders of the embassy uh, in where the sacred trees are near Ararat. And basically, it's been a long, hard fight. And it's you know Lydia made a lot of comments about how it's really important to keep up the fight, and it is because. Really, when you look at it, and I'm hoping to get uh, Michael Kennedy on some stage, the lawyer who's actually helping out, because I really want to talk about the fact that there is a cheaper option. There is a cheaper option to to have a, a different route. And that's not really talked about too much in the media. And I'm not saying that, I mean, I'm just saying that there's got to be, that has to be talked about as well. Um, because there must be a way 
to have more transparency with the government to challenge them about that and, 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 and have a look at what can be done to resolve this issue rather than beginning the works. Because at the moment, apparently, um, even though no one has moved in, there is a red alert and eviction has happened and we need to stop that those works from, from going on. And apart from that, we need thousands of people. We need a lot of people to actually turn up and protect the sacred trees. It's approximately 4.56. We've got about one minute before our show ends. Um, tune in every week from 4 to 5 um, for the Doing Time show. I will endeavour to get the lawyer Michael Kennedy on as soon as possible to discuss the legalities um, of what's going on here and what can be done to get more injunctions and to stop um, the works from happening. Stay, stay safe, take care of each other and um, we'll be back next Monday um, for the Doing Time show. It's Beyond Zero up next.